0: Welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sport. I am joined this week by Tom Gibbs. Good evening, Rich. And I should say I'm Richard Baker. (laughs) (laughs) It's useful to remember to introduce yourself. You might not have heard as much from us in the last few weeks as uh, normal, and that's because we've been spending a lot of our time talking about cricket over at our other podcast. The 100 Club, so if you're interested in the 100 tournament, I would urge you to go and have a check that one out. And similarly, if you're joining us because you've heard us doing the 100 Club, then you're very welcome. This is a slightly different offering in that we try and each week just have a general chat really around what's going on in the wider world of sports and what we might have noticed while while watching it. Um, Tom, what's caught your eye this week aside from new formats of cricket? I was going to say the 100 and <laughs> you, you can do <laughs> a bit of 100 if you want well okay but it's not That's, to be um what is the 100 gone on, for, for those no. Un- uninitiated
1: no i think you know i i don't want to talk about a lot of it and we do a lot of that on the channel but what i just want to say about it is um broadcasting of it and the very welcome news today that it had four million people in the uk alone watching a game of women's domestic cricket which smashed all the records that's whatever else happens from here with that tournament and you know you can go and listen to our, or watch our coverage of it elsewhere if you wish so wish um and it's not all glowing coverage either we're not the bbc <laughs> <laughs> we're fairly have to take a dig at it when it needs it It has done something in showing cricket to four million people in this country who might not already or normally see it. So that's made me happy.
0: I echo that. I was at the game on Wednesday night. Uh, It was the largest crowd uh, for a professional domestic women's game. You have to say it correctly. Um, But there was a real buzz to it, and it was a it was a fantastic event. And I think especially after it was my first time back in a stadium after nearly two years, Mm -hmm. and it was just wonderful to be out in the open air, balmy barm, summer's evening and, uh, and a fantastic sporting event to boot.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to my first stadium experience. Do you know what that's going to be? No, go on. I am hoping to go and watch St Mirren on the 31st of July <laughs> at home against Hearts. So, uh, yeah. If uh, if you find a spurious blog article being written on the experience of watching SPFL, uh, stand by.
0: Oh, look forward to reading that. I mean, the world's attention should be or probably will be focusing on on tokyo tomorrow We're recording this on the eve of the tokyo olympics uh one year late obviously delayed because of the uh the pandemic but it's probably fair to say that this is one of the least anticipated olympics in quite a while at least in terms of the host country wouldn't you say tom
1: i think they're struggling somewhat to do that but i'm not worried by it in fact, actually, there's some metrics of it I find quite refreshing. Sometimes the Olympics can very can be super commercialized. Uh, and yes, there are still some adverts out there saying it's all about the Olympics and that. But actually, once the Olympics starts, the the sheer joy that it provides is always about the efforts of those extraordinary athletes and individuals in their endeavor, which aren't always well regarded or well followed. Um, I, I hope to just sit and watch some extraordinary events.
0: For me, the Olympics is one of those rare opportunities to immerse yourself in a sport that you don't really think about for the remain for the next four years. Um, becoming an expert on canoeing or <laughs> gymnastics or or, or diving. Yeah. You know, I've, you... always,
1: uh, I've always, I've always fancied myself as a skateboard expert. Uh, which we'll see how that goes. I've always, you know, I've always been able to pop an ollie, or at least wear some these trainers.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'll sit there in, in the first round of diving, sort of be utterly clueless as to what constitutes success or failure, and then, sort of, two hours in, I'll be shouting at the TV because the Ukrainian judge has only given it a 6.6, and <laughs> 6, it was clearly worth the 6.8 given the uh, the difficulty level they have engaged in. Um. But, it is, but I think that is one of the best things about the Olympics. I, I know sort of you, people tend to fixate on the track and field, but I think it's just the sheer range of sport that makes it so delightful for me.
1: Yeah, I think the best Olympic, and this is perhaps relating to why track and field is in that category, but I think the best Olympic events need to be able to engage you as a viewer as something you can understand the privations, the difficulties that have gone into being extraordinary at it. So absolutely, can you run fast? how fast can you run actually can you throw can you can you swim uh can you propel your boat down a rapids <laughs> you get it but it's the simplicity of some of these things is refreshing actually when a lot of games can get quite complicated
0: that's true and maybe we shouldn't lump cycling in with this because the cycling <laughs> has a number of fairly bizarre sports including the kirin which is basically where you chase a bloke on a moped
1: do you, want, do you want me to tell you the story about how the Kirin came into being? Oh, please do. Well, you know, forgive me if I get some of the facts wrong. That's never stopped me in the past. But essentially, <laughs> the Kirin is only a thing because it was popular in Japan as a, a sport invented by betting syndicates. It's a gambling <laughs> game. So this little dur- gurney, or is it gurney or gurney, on his moped going round... And then releasing the cyclists the at the end to sprint as quickly as they can, essentially, it was a way of controlling it for the betting syndicates. And the only reason is in the Olympics, essentially, is the Japanese paid a vast amount of money to the Olympic committee, who, <laughs> believe it or not, were a touch corrupt, until they accepted it as a sport. And it's now somehow accepted as entirely mainstream, the idea that you've got this little bloke in his silly helmet going around on a track and then just propelling people into this intentionally pretty random uh, event, which lots of Japanese people like to bet on.
0: Excellent. Well, the Japanese would be very excited to see the Kirin, those who uh, who make it into yeah, the velodrome to watch it. They'll be dancing their, on
1: the streets of Nagasaki, Rich.
0: Yeah, with their wads of yen <laughs> being thrown <laughs> onto the track.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, for one, will be scouring the betting exchanges for the best odds on my Kirin favourites.
0: There's always a few sports that seem a little bit incongruous. Like, they've heard there's a party, so they've turned up, even though they're not really invited. I always sort of feel that tennis at the Olympics seems yeah. seems a bit ill-placed. And, uh, and of course, golf. Golf, Is golf would be the obvious one. Yeah, yeah. it's happened.
1: I mean... <laughs> golf has many many places in the world for me but probably the olympics i do admit is a stretch
0: yes but then the lad who won the uh the masters this year um i forget his name off the top of my head of course uh you know, but it was japanese golf for the first japanese golf to win to win the masters will potentially be that's, uh, that's it uh, yeah going for gold in his in his home olympics
1: um yeah no, no, it's all good and it frankly gives the uh uh, GB team a reasonable shot of the medal usually <laughs> yeah. So all in favor load it up get the darts in
0: well Britain have in our youth uh, I say our youth as if it's long departed which in fact it has uh, were, 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 <laughs> were pretty horrendous uh, at the Olympics I think I can remember in Atlanta Atlanta 96 I think we won one gold in the entire games um, but now through our national gambling addiction we have quite a strong olympic team and i think by some metrics came second in rio depends whether you count golds or total medals what i don't understand is why not just do the medals table by saying a gold is worth three a silver is worth two and a bronze is worth one and it can't be that hard right
1: uh you're applying your scientific brain to this Rich. i couldn't care less uh to be honest i would like the best quality competition regardless of results
0: Fair enough, but but it's true to say that Britain are a pretty good Olympic nation these days. You know, we we usually bring home a, a fairly hefty haul of of gold medals, mm-hmm. which 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 I think is does does impact um, your enjoyment of the event. It's always good to have a kind of a dog in a fight. Dog yeah. fighting not in the Olympics as <laughs> yet. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, that would be another betting syndicate influence that I think wouldn't go under the radar.
0: Yeah, unless Michael Vick spends a lot of money (laughs) lobbying the IOC in the next few years. Uh, But it it does sort of give you a—I don't uh, know—do I follow the cycling more closely because Britain are very good at it than I would do otherwise? I mean, sailing we always do pretty well at, right? In all the in all the battling classes of of, of sailing. Do you know all the different sailing types? Yeah, well, there's lasers. There are lasers. They don't have lasers, though. It's just the name of the boat. no. Yeah, no, well say. yes,
1: Yeah, 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 yes, absolutely. It's a class of boat, a dinghy yes. whatever you want to call it. There's there are several other classes. I'm not gonna name them all now.
0: <laughs> There's yingling, of course. And uh that's about it. Uh, <laughs> I can remember.
1: I tell you I tell you what I am looking forward to. It's something i I think, you know, and it's peaked by uh British involvement and is definitely something I would never really turn the telly on for, which is um breaststroke. Okay. Adam Peaty. Indeed. Now, there's a star. I cannot wait. And I think it's quite early on in the, in, in the championships
0: as well that he is
1: going to be breaking world records and winning golds. He is something phenomenal in that pool.
0: It, it's fantastic to have a champion breaststroke and, and indeed to just win in the pool because swimming is very competitive. I do have an issue, though, with swimming. God. Um, so when you compare swimming to, say, track and field, there's no gold medal for running 100 metres backwards. And there's no <laughs> gold medal for skipping 100 metres. So this idea that you should have a different event for a well, distance and a, and a swimming style.
1: So what would you call the 110 metres hurdles? Or the 25 kilometre walk? Or the steeplechase?
0: Well, well, I'd get rid of the walk, because I think that's nonsense anyway. But no, hurdling's a different, different discipline, different skill.
1: Yeah, much like swimming backwards.
0: <laughs> be better if there's yeah some some sort of obstacles yet to swim around that would be the equivalent but if
1: you seen me in a pool it's mostly the other lanes i, I, yeah. I <laughs> swim like a brick anyway that's not
0: the point tom what was your favorite olympics
1: i'm going to say the obvious answer of 2012 takers to the game likes and prides itself on its <laughs> uh connection to the experience of going to sporting events and i was lucky enough to go to an amount of 2012 perhaps obviously lots of people did um but it was a it was an enhancement in the olympics to do so i went and saw some weightlifting i went and saw some boxing fantastic and i loved the style it bought and it made me proud uh to have an
0: association to it i would have to say 2012 as well i was living overseas at the time Mm -hmm. and I had before I'd moved overseas because I think the ticketing process is so long in in the in the making that I I think I'd applied for tickets almost two years before the games and having been successful in the ballots uh, decided to travel back Uh, and it was a wonderful week being back in my home city but as a visitor and taking part in not obviously not taking part but um yeah I would I would no I would say taking part in in making it, you know, it was such a special event. Uh, the highlight being the day I spent at the Olympic Park um, with an evening in the Olympic Stadium and seeing... Um, well, the best thing I saw in the evening was when the German shot putter, uh, sorry, the discus thrower, won gold. And then they'd set up the track with the hurdles. And in celebration, he ran the 110-meter hurdles <laughs> with, the, with the whole stadium cheering with every time he cleared a hurdle. It. it was brilliant and then, but then also as we were saying at the top of the show going and just doing some seeing some different sports Um, my wife really wanted to go and see greco-roman wrestling because she wanted to see a sport from the original olympics back in, sort of, <laughs> yeah. and uh so we went to see that at the excel that was fun they brought the crowd along with them sort of taught everybody the, the rules okay. lots of people were there in fancy dress so lots of lots of people in togas and uh <laughs>
1: Were you Greek or Roman, and your were you, who were you supporting? Uh,
0: well, the um, the Iranians are very good at it now. Yeah. So I think I think quite a few Iranians won gold. but there was there was the odd errant American as well in there, and a few other sort of random nationalities. But no, no, really, the Iranians clean up in the, in in the old school wrestling. Mm. And then we went to see a bit of volleyball as well, which is a sport that is massively underrated. A great spectator sport to watch. Um, so I think I think it's, but as you say, it's not necessarily something I would. I would travel for, uh, at least not cross continents for. Yeah, I think if there was another Olympics in Europe, I oh. might be tempted to go along.
1: Were you in Brazil during the Rio Olympics at that point?
0: No, I had moved back to the UK, okay. and there wasn't okay. a temptation to go back to to Brazil to watch it. Having having seen the World Cup a couple of years before, I did have slight trepidation for the Rio Olympics because I know that there'd been a lot of issues in the in the run up to the games and a lot of the resentment towards uh, the government in its mishandling of the world cup infrastructure was coming to the fore and there was some sort of quite major corruption scandals in brazil at the time around the misappropriation of funds towards towards the game so there was there was quite a bit of uh, ill feeling i would say i mean i think in the end when they arrive people tend to get behind it and people yeah. enjoy it but uh, but i think there was there was some trepidation before those games
1: Well, Tokyo isn't without that itself. And I'm fairly optimistic that actually when gets going with most tournaments, you tend to enjoy the sport on display. I'll ask you a question if I can, Mitch, then. So which is your favourite Olympian of all time?
0: So my favourite Olympian of all time would probably be Mo Farah. Um, I think because his, uh, even though I didn't watch it in the stadium, his two victories... Uh, London 2012 in the 5,000, 10,000, which he then backed up, I think, in Rio as well, didn't he? Some further gold medals were simply incredible, you know, Mm. breaking the stranglehold on sort of the Kenyans in Ethiopians in middle distance running. Um, I didn't see uh, Mo Farrell winning, but I saw some of the the heats in uh, when I was in the Olympic Stadium for the track and field. And one thing that I always find quite interesting is when you watch on TV, you don't get really a sense of the speed at which they're going. And the commentators use phraseology on, on – they, they use terms like, oh, he's just he's just sitting in there at the minute. He's quietly biding his time. He's being incredibly patient. You know, he's running a very tactical race. And then you watch it live and you think, actually, no, he's just absolutely caning it around a 400-meter track at a speed yeah. you wouldn't believe. Um, so to, to see how the physical feat of being able to do that and then have enough in the tank to sprint finish, you know, is just – superhuman endurance for me yeah
1: yeah he um he's he's quite something and I, I i do hope his uh his legacy isn't tainted by some of the associations he's kept but I, I believe in him so let's hope that, that is, yeah. is maintained i might go for a more obvious answer myself in daily thompson i think you know what an achievement to be quite as great an olympian as him is, is not to be underestimated at a time when as you said before i think you know in terms of the number of or the the number of olympic heroes we had was fewer he was just a class apart and seeing him dominate um it was just a tremendous ambassador for the sport and for Olympics as a whole uh, and again as a as a pioneering black athlete as well did a huge amount in that sense as well so yeah daily thompson for me
0: yeah i suppose i'm kind of my earliest olympic memory it's, it's hard because you you think you have a memory but then you've often heard things reported afterwards so you wonder mm-hmm. whether do did i actually remember this live at the time or am i just am i just remembering through other people but the 1988 race uh that ben johnson won and was subsequently mm. qualified for where he he was the first man to run under 10 seconds i think in, in the olympics at that point
1: i think others had done it i think
0: he was the first well, he certainly set a, a, a world record. He ran, he ran nine seven nine, didn't he? But there's yeah. a there's a fantastic book about it, which I think is called the dirtiest race or something. Because I think seven of the eight men in that final at some point in their careers tested tested positive, uh, or failed on drugs tests. Um, I think Lim Christie did Lim Christie win a medal subsequently in that? Or was he? Yeah, I think then? he got upgraded to third
1: or something. Yeah. He
0: did, but then he went and won the gold in ninety yeah. two in Barcelona I have very strong memories of that so that's probably you know very my the, the Barcelona games are probably my my strongest memories of the Olympics as a child uh, I have very few memories of Atlanta beyond uh Redgrave winning his medal um but then by 2000 we were back in Sydney right and Sydney Sydney was a, Sydney was widely seen as a very well put together games I think not many people yeah. have have fond memories of Atlanta but I think Sydney was sort of a, a bit of a, a restart for the Olympics yeah, for the new it, millennium
1: it did well I think Athens was again okay you know the, ultimately though I, I remember it for the events I think more than maybe the hosting cities is that fair because I remember walking around the Barcelona um, setup I think it must have been 10 years after so maybe 2002 and it just felt like any other waterfront development in the in in Western Europe I think um, did I remember the Barcelona Games? Yes, quite a bit of it. I remember some of the opening ceremonies. I remember Freddie and stuff like that. Um, but I mostly remember actually some of the incredible achievements of Spanish athletes and the road races and the long-distance running. It was incredible. That's yeah. what I remember. That
0: stuff. And uh, your biggest Olympic villains? Plenty to choose from. Uh, the the nation of Russia.
1: No, well no probably just i go with the ioc it's a safe bet the international <laughs> olympic committee why do they make crazy decisions well because they're pretty extraordinarily corrupt for the most part and uh, i don't forgive that kind of thing in sport
0: i don't know whether they were villains or not it's uh it's from the paralympics rather than the olympics but it was the oh, um... my. i know a <laughs> yeah. story you're going to give me here <laughs> which one's this
1: is this the spanish uh, disabled basketball team
0: yes who turned out not to be disabled, but I, don't, I don't know. Do you have to be disabled to play wheelchair basketball? I'm not so sure.
1: Uh, I don't think even all of them were in wheelchairs, though. <laughs> I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. But either way, it was pretty
0: disgraceful. But there's always, uh, I mean, there's always a few villainous acts in the Olympics, and there's always a few people who get kicked out for various various offences at, at different points, usually drug-related. Um, occasionally, you get the stranger stories i think from london 2012 where two chinese badminton players tried to manipulate the uh the, the brackets by by deliberately losing a game and, and and both got ended up getting thrown out that was a sort of a slightly strange one
1: yeah and you've clearly got the the classic uh you know no hoper story that occasionally is thrown up which again the IOC has seen fit to essentially kill through (laughs) introducing standards of competition perhaps at the detriment of expanding sport and our love of the Olympics you know do we want Eric the Eagles in our life I've got a space for that I've got a space for Eddie the Eagle
0: so it sounds to me Tom that you're quite optimistic that for all the doom and gloom now and the kind of shadow hanging over the game you think in, in two and a half weeks time there will be enough moments that we'll look back and and, and uh, have enjoyed these games
1: Rich, i know i will because i'll have belt fed <laughs> sport
0: on top of a fantastic cricket
1: tournament <laughs> <laughs> no i'm gonna love it my wife won't but um it's gonna be a lot of fun
0: excellent uh tom thanks very much uh, you're welcome have a good night